Welcome to the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast. I'm Greg Jevenstead, Editor-in-Chief at Writer Magazine. Our guest today is Haley Bell. Bell is the founder and president of Global Business Development for Women Writers World Relay, an organization whose mission is to bring fun, experience, confidence, and a sense of unity to female writers globally. Although Bell lives in the UK, the American Motorcyclist Association named her 2019 Motorcyclist of the Year, which recognizes the individual who had the most profound impact on the world of motorcycling that year. Between February 2019 and February 2020, more than 3,500 women from 79 countries on six continents circumnavigated the globe on two wheels, passing a baton from woman to woman and logging 63,000 miles. We talked to Belle about how she started Women Riders World Relay, how the movement grew exponentially within a matter of weeks, and how hundreds of women around the world volunteered their time and effort to plan, organize, and complete the global relay. We also talk about the impact Women Riders World Relay is having on the motorcycle industry and her role as a spokesperson and advocate. Belle has an inspiring story to tell, so stay tuned for another great episode. Haley, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Greg. So you're the founder and president of Global Business Development for Women Riders World Relay. So tell us about your organization. The fancy title, that isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, Women Riders World Relay um, is a, an initiative that I set up. It's a um, a global event by which we performed the world's largest motorcycle relay, and it was performed entirely by female riders. And this was basically meant to wow the industry into realizing the global potential for female motorcyclists in the market and also to connect and find more women that were relatable and we could, you know, ride together really more than anything. So when did you start this organization and do this relay? Um, so the idea came to me August 2018. There was just shy of six months worth of planning before I was on the road on a KTM 690 Duke in Scotland, setting off for the first leg, really. So from literally having the idea at my office desk to starting it was just under six months. And uh, yeah, it, we we completed, it took a year to complete. We completed in the nick of time, just before lockdown hit, we completed in Valentine's Day weekend, February 14th, weekend of 2020, before we got locked down. And yeah, it was literally like three, I, I, I swear I'm a little bit to blame for some of the UK's COVID spreading because we had the finale ceremony in, in London, in, in the UK, <laughs> and we had over 50 countries attending and, and coming in. And there was this sort of weird murmur about, you know, there's this weird Chinese virus that's going around and nobody really knew what it was. And lo and behold, a few weeks later, we're all locked in our houses and the world shut down. Well, yeah, I mean, it's hard to think back just a few years ago, what we didn't know, we didn't know and how different things have been, uh, obviously just a few weeks after your event concluded. So yeah, that's, that's nuts. So before we, like, I would be curious about how the pandemic has impacted your organization, but what I want to back up is like, how does a motorcycle relay like this work? How do you sort of do this? And then you said it took a year and, and I don't know how many countries were covered, but how does it actually work? Okay. So uh, imagine an Olympic relay where you pass a baton from person to person. We basically did that via day-long rides, motorbike to motorbike. Sometimes it was groups of riders meeting up and riding with the baton and passing it to the next group of riders. Sometimes it was a sole woman riding across several countries. It depended on the, the country membership. We we traversed across uh, 87 countries in total over the, over the course of, of a year. And we were pretty much on the road every single day. There was a 
couple of weeks in across the, the course of the year where, you know, we had a day's rest or we had a day where we needed to ship the baton or something like that because, the, you know, sure. as much as I'd love to, we can't ride motorcycles over water. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, there was there was a couple of down points, but pretty much we were on the road for the 365 days that it took to complete. So we, we didn't do the traditional sort of Charlie Borman, Ewan McGregor routes where it's like the most direct route far from it. We, we, we wanted to showcase in each country what routes each country uh, were proud of and, and enjoyed. So we were squiggling all over. We went back on ourselves a few times because of political warfares between countries and all sorts. Like there was the logistics in it were intense. So those that participate in the relay, did they come up with some of their own routes for the individual legs? Were you involved in that? I mean, how did that work? So basically when I started it... To give you an idea of how quickly this scaled up, I had the idea in the afternoon. It was about two o'clock in the afternoon at work. By the end of the first day, we had over 360 members in the group. By the end of the first week, there was over 1,600. And by the end of the first month, there was over 10,000 signed up. So it went from zero to hero really quick, which told me one of, well, one of the most important things was that the timing was right and that women wanted this voice and they wanted to be accounted for at this point. So Straight away, I was like, oh my God, I need help. <laughs> There's no way that I can do this on my own. And, you know, I just had this idea. I hadn't, I didn't have a plan in place. I literally <laughs> right. had an idea. Like I was winging it at this stage. And um, so I, I recruited what, what we call the admins, uh, which involved a lot of Facebook stalking and trying to find out, you know, who would be most suitable on the team? What are the connections? How how would we work together, et cetera? And then we recruited. So the admins were basically the core five or six people that right. would orchestrate the, the relay and deal with the main sort of logistics of it. And then obviously I'm sat here in the UK. A lot of the other admins were sat in the USA. Um, we don't know the best routes to ride in Pakistan or India or um, Germany or wherever. And we also don't speak the 56 languages that were in our group across all the different time zones. So we thought, right, we need to hire and recruit local ambassadors is what we, of what we called them to showcase because they know their countries best and to showcase the best routes and uh, to be able to converse effectively, to be able to organize it. So each country had one or more ambassadors within it. So we actually ended up with, because we went, we, we actually went across 87 borders, but there was over a hundred countries involved in the group. So we ended up having like at least 200 ambassadors across that we were managing across the world. And they would, uh, we would allocate days. So a number of days to each country, dependent upon A, the country size, B, the country membership sign up and uh, C, things like the terrain, et cetera, the weather. We were literally using Google Maps and Google Earth to like look at roads and see, right, is this actually a road or is it a dirt path or, you know, (laughs) is it a mountain or is it a hill? You know, all these sorts of things. And yeah, so we'd allocate a number of days to each country and then it was up to the ambassadors to create the most appropriate routes. And this didn't always mean the best route because remember you've got a group of people that are riding together who've nine times out of ten never ridden together before. Uh, a lot of the time don't have experience in riding in a group. There's probably going to be delays along the way. If one person didn't or one group didn't pass that baton on time to the next one, the whole of the rest of the world's routes would be skewed. Right. So it was essential that we made sure that the baton got from A to B on each day. 
And that was, you know, that was drilled into every rider that no matter what, we need to get the baton from, from A to B. So, so sometimes the routes changed. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, yeah, because if, if you have delays, it would have cascading effects on the addition, the, any uh, downstream legs of the, the exactly. uh, relay. But so was your goal to get it all done with it? I think you said within a year, within 365 days, that was the idea. That we could have got, if we'd have, if we'd have done what we'd have liked to have done <laughs> in that, you know, you know, take the leisurely route round and do, you know, do, and believe me, we did do the leisurely route as well. But like, if we'd have gone, gone everywhere possible, we'd still be doing it in 10 years time. We needed right. to make sure that this was like, we had a definitive end point to this right. because right. the whole while that this relay is going on, um, the admin team, et cetera, are all working their asses off behind behind the scenes. We were working through the night, 20 hours a day, and no. it was every day relentless. We didn't get, you know, they didn't stop riding at the weekend or switch off at six o'clock. It, right. it was it was all through the day and night. So we'd we'd be on shift patterns between the US and the UK, sort of taking over um between each other to try and keep things moving and to keep communications across the world. Sure. I mean, because I mean, you and I, I mean, I'm in California, you're in the UK, we've got an eight hour time difference, but you've got admins that are in the US and you've got people all around the world. You can have, you know, 12 hour time difference, 18 hour time, whatever it may be. And that's, yeah, that's going to be tough. So when you said that this, I mean, how did you stay in touch with, you said this grew really rapidly within, you know, first day, week and month. Mm -hmm. Was it on Facebook? Is that how it grew so quickly? Is that how, I mean, I know social media things can spread like wildfire. Is that how you kind of, you know, got the word out? It's so funny how I can't stand social media, (laughs) but but, but I loved it for this. And it's, it was a really positive social media thing to happen. So this was pre the days of Facebook translate. So we didn't have that option of translating, you know, so, so on one tab of my computer, I'd have Google translate up on the other tab, I'd have the Facebook group up and I'm typing it. So to to spread the word initially, I'm typing in motorcycle women, female riders, biker girls, blah, 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 all these different phrases in all these different languages and searching for groups in Italian, German, French, Spanish, Portuguese, you know, all these different languages. Then I'm posting what I'm trying to achieve. And like, you know, I've had this crazy idea who's in and then I'm having hundreds and thousands of comments messages in a foreign language that I can't translate without <laughs> so you can imagine like how long it took to wow. converse with people and yeah so it, it 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 really did grow very quickly and and the logistics of communicating were really difficult at the start I think the, the important thing to remember is as well, when we actually set off, we had not finished the world route at all. So okay. whilst I'm riding across the UK, across the USA, across the, the UAE, I'm still planning the routes along with the admin team. And we're still uploading the routes to the website and we're still trying to get information from the ambassadors and trying to communicate with, with different countries. So the routes were still being uploaded right at the end. Like we were always just that one step ahead of the relay. Wow. I mean, you know, this must've been, that year must've been a total blur for you. And then it's gotta be, it must've been really abrupt. Then the world kind of shut down after your relay was over. But I mean, you know, this is a completely volunteer grassroots sort of thing. You guys all, most of you have, you know, day jobs and other things, but you're, so you're trying to figure out how to do all this and live your normal lives as well. Uh, So that's quite an undertaking. Yeah. I got sacked. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wow, that's that's true commitment right there. Yeah. Yep. They gave me an ultimatum. It's it's your job or the relay. And yeah. the relay meant that much to me that I said, see ya. Yeah. Good for you. So I, I mean, I know that uh in 2019, the American Motorcyclist Association recognized you as motorcyclists of the year uh that year. And um, you know, that is uh, something that they recognize the person who's had the most significant impact on motorcycling in, in the previous 12 months or that year. And clearly, you know, they saw that what you were doing is to just, you know, spread the word, but connect people, but really to identify the the importance of you know female motorcyclists as a strong growing segment of the market. Because I mean, you know, our magazine writer, it's like, you know, I know most of our readers are male, but um, is that the, you know, the motorcycle manufacturers in terms of the motorcycles that they produce, the gear manufacturers, as you well know, you know, a lot of gear manufacturers are like, well, let's just put a pink stripe on it. It'll basically be a men's jacket with that or something is that, you know, it is a, a segment of the market that has not historically been well served by aftermarket suppliers and motorcycle manufacturers and so forth. Other than, like I said, it's kind of like, you know, pink washing as they kind of call it, you know, so. Mm-hmm. So what was your question? Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is I, so, so you got recognized for the AMA, like really what inspired you to, I mean, you, my understanding is you haven't been uh, uh, riding that long. Is that correct? Yeah. So I started riding close to my 24th birthday. Uh, I'm now 31. When I started the relay, I was 27. It was, yeah, it, I've not been riding too long, but I, I guess I'd, I've grown up around bikes. My my dad um, rode, my brother rode, my cousin rode. I was never allowed one because I was the reckless child. Um, <laughs> and then I rebelled. Right, right. <laughs> I got one anyway. And then yeah, it it like it was it was very apparent. I think it's important not to focus on the fact that you know we are under catered to with gear. I mean, gear, yes, it's it's an important factor and it's a safety factor. For example, when I was riding Enduro, I'm I'm a petite woman and I was having and still do have to wear children's clothes a lot of the time, which then compromises on my safety because my boots are like ankle boots and my body protects is like a crop <laughs> right. top. Right. So there, there is an aspect of, of gear and absolutely it's an important thing that, you know, we should be able to be catered to and, and wear things that we feel good in and, you know, have, have that option available to us as female motorcyclists. But moreover, what really opened my eyes up was the global issues that we have as female motorcyclists. So for example, in Iran, it's still illegal for a woman to own a motorcycle license. Only a year prior to the relay starting, did it become legal for women in the UAE to drive? So it was like, you know, all these things that were cropping up from different countries. And it's fascinating. And, and you know, the cultural side that I had a real sort of bird's eye view of around the world in, in the motorcycle industry was was really just fascinating and like interesting how motorcycle cultures in different country to country operate and they're very different and you wouldn't think that they would be because we all love our two wheels but there's like hierarchies and you know well absolutely i mean you can sort of take for granted what sort of rights or freedoms you may have in a country like the uk or the united states Mm -hmm. but yeah absolutely that is not something that is shared universally so i mean that your movement really is about you know uh, female empowerment much more so than any specific issue. All those issues are important, but that, yeah, to connect with all of these uh, female motorcyclists in all these different countries and to raise some awareness. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, like I said, I'm glad that you've, you know, been recognized for that, for your organization has been recognized for, for what it's doing. So 
you've you completed the first relay in uh, February of 2020. As you said, you know, the the pandemic global lockdown happened soon after that. So where where is your organization headed next? Sort of what's 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 up for the future hold? Sure. So the um the relay was always meant as a one-off event. It was meant as a as a wow factor. Um, nobody's ever done a global relay of this magnitude before. Everybody thought I was maybe mad. And, you know, it was meant to be a weird and wonderful event that grabs people's attention and build like a communication bridge with the industry and riders. So that said, what we are doing is a lot in the background. So as a direct result of WRWR, that there has been a lot of change and a lot of positive change right across the world from, you know, the first female motorcycle magazine being released across Europe to women's motorcycle groups being set up to manufacturers getting in touch with me about gear and, you know, asking for feedback and us creating polls to events catering to women specifically and doing uh, female-led organizations sort of sectors within events right the way through to the industry, people hiring more women in positions of power. So there's been so much positive change as a, as a direct result of WRWR. I think, like I said, it, it was the perfect timing and women needed a voice at, at that point and people listened. And now what we're doing sort of moving forwards is working directly with the industry to help that. So for example, I, I work um, with the FIM and, you know, uh, conversing with AMA, et cetera, about how, you know, we get more women into racing, how we support the women that are already in racing by getting, you know, female ambassadors, et cetera, to, to, to talk to and, you know, go to if there's any problems, et cetera. And then secondary to that, I'm looking to normalize how a young girl may be into most motorcycles because I don't think it's a normal thing at the minute for a little girl to be into bikes. So by creating a children's book, which or a series of children's books that I'm that I'm doing at the minute, I'm hoping to normalize a, a young girl having an interest in motorcycles. That's interesting. You said that you were the reckless child and that you were the one that didn't get to ride motorcycles. But I mean, I think that's often, you know, we, we have sort of, you know, in terms of uh, gendered, you know, childhood is that yeah, yeah, kids tend to be the the knockabout types that are playing rough sports or something like that and more likely to get into motorcycles. But yeah, it's, you know, there, there's, uh, you know, it makes sense to be able to make it as available. I mean, everybody wants to get more of the next generation riding, you know, into motorcycles. So boys and girls, both. I mean, whether it's learning to ride bicycles first and then moving on to motorcycles, whatever it is. Well, if you think about it, you know, the female sector is so important. If you think about the sort of hierarchy of a family, if a traditional father, mother family and the father rides a motorcycle, the mother doesn't. It's 50-50 whether those kids are going to ride. If the mother, the matriarchy of the family rides chances are those kids are going to ride and there's your next generation. So the more women that we get involved in motorcycling, the more women that we aspire to, you know, to, to bring into the community and to cater to, right. I can only see positive things for the, for the whole industry and community moving forwards. And it's important as well to, to recognize that the guys um, and, the, and the men, and that's something that I was really quite firm about and actually uh, fought a lot of battles with across WRWR because at the end of the day, 90% of female motorcyclists have been taught by or inspired to get on a bike by a guy. So we wanted to thank the men that were supporting us and, and to include them. And that's why we said, you know, um, we'd, we'd like to 
to offer men to come along as companions on the ride. It was just the women that were able to carry and hold the baton. Sure. And the, the way that we did it was it was a it was a five pound companion fee, and that five pounds from the from the male actually went into a pot that sponsored a woman who couldn't afford to ride the relay. So in turn supported back the women as well so it was a really nice sort of round full circle way of doing it i think that's great yeah i mean you know like i said is that you were saying that you know encouraging more whether it's young girls or women to to uh, ride motorcycles is it ends up being a shared activity it's not you know uh, even though yes a lot of times because of the male dominance of motorcycling you have a lot of guys that ride together but you know so i know some women want to have you know female riding groups and so forth but um, the more people riding period and you know, females are half the population the better i mean it's good for the industry it's good for everyone and you're talking about how much you dislike social media is i mean because i live in california and we have a lot of public land is, you know, motorcycling, uh, is for some people as, as a family activity, you know, the, mm-hmm. the family will have an RV, they'll have a trailer, they'll have a dirt bike for mom. They'll have a dirt bike for dad. They'll have two little dirt bikes for the kids. They go out and they learn how to ride motorcycles. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like I said, the more people you can get involved riding, the better. And so you've clearly uh, started a movement for that. So I experienced that firsthand when I went to California to ride in some of your dirt parks over there. <laughs> it was so nice to see like that family camping, like, you know, dirt biking, little adventure that, that that everybody seemed to do together. And we don't really have that other than like in racing right. in the UK. We, I don't know if it's just because we don't have the space or whether half of the UK population does the best to get away from the families rather than stay with them. But <laughs> like, we just don't really have that. Right. And it was right. so nice to see. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of those outdoor activities that, you know, again, people with devices and kids that are just looking at their phones or, you know, watching TV and stuff like that. So anything that's an outdoor activity that can be a family thing is is a good thing. And like I said, we are pretty spoiled for having public lands and parks that in the state of California, we've got a lot of these dedicated off-highway vehicle areas and, um, and, and riding areas and so forth. So like I said, you said that you had gotten, um, you gave up uh, your previous job to do the relay. So uh, are you focusing your efforts, you know, on this organization? And, you know, you said that you're working with some of these manufacturers and some of these uh, sanctioning bodies and so forth. Is is this your new career path? It's definitely a full-time job outside of my career path, um, but, but certainly doesn't pay the bills. So I... I've recently been hired by Muckoff as their global athlete and communication manager. Right. And I think what we what we can do, what everybody can do and everyone who is a part of WRWR or not moving forwards is just to help communicate back to the industry. And, you know, whenever I've done talks or whatever, and, you know, um, I've said, what are the challenges that you face? And, you know, a lot of people will say gear or, you know, being sort of spoken to inadequately uh, about bikes when they're buying them, et cetera. And the, the biggest thing that I'll say to people is give feedback and in a positive way. Um, so if, if a shop isn't, isn't hosting gear or a manufacturer isn't developing gear that you like or that fits you, then rather than saying, I don't like this and stomping my feet, the industry needs constructive feedback. So how are we going to do that? And it's things like creating polls that we do within WRWR. And, you know, if you're being spoken to through your husband, when you're purchasing a bike or something like that as well, 
provide feedback, go into the shop and say, this is the bike I want. This is the bike I ride. This is my experience of riding and give a bit of background insight. And, you know, nine times out of 10, it's, you know, it's taken positively. So I think by just providing feedback and by helping uh, the industry to support us. That's the best way to to keep developing the industry more, really, uh, and more suitably for women riders. Sure, I mean, being vocal certainly helps. You know, it's a, yeah. you don't want to be don't don't want to be silent. So, uh, one of the things that um, I wanted to ask you about is like, so when we were trying to schedule this interview, uh, you had you said, well, I'm going to go to you were at the Isle of Man TT, and then you're going to Americade. So were you just going to attend the races at the TT? Uh, yeah, I certainly wasn't racing there. I'm, I'm not that <laughs> I'm mad, but I'm not that mad. <laughs> um, yeah, so I went over with some friends on, um, we went over with our enduro bikes and had a blast uh, for five days and, you know, enjoyed the races. It's the first time that I've been over with my enduro bike as well. Yeah. So that was really good because we could get to all the, the best places to watch and, you know. So you can connect on. different parts of the course, exactly the, the that, trails yeah. and stuff. Oh, that's got to be great. That's, you know, TT is on yeah. my bucket list. I don't want to, I'm not a racer. I wouldn't race it, but just to attend and just to, just to experience it. It's amazing. Like it's an experience like no other. If, you know, if, yeah. if, if you like your racing, you've got, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a bucket list place to to go. I'm fortunate that I've been a couple of times, but it's yeah, it, you know, when you're sat ten centimeters away from the races, you you don't get that experience at a track. You don't get that sense of force as they come past you, like the wind literally knocking right. your chest, and you know that sort of it, yeah, you're very much involved with it, and it's uh, yeah, it's 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 fantastic. And then the Isle of Man, if you know, for anybody who rides enduro as well or green lanes, like has some fantastic off road lanes to do and you know it's it's beautiful it's it's a dream to ride there that's great well and then after that after the tt races you flew to the states and attended americade in lake george new york <laughs> yeah literally so I, I landed back from the ferry at about midnight and then i had to like unpack the van that we were camping in and then repack my bags for the states and get out the door for like five o'clock the next morning and then i was on the on a flight to um americade in albany new york americade very kindly invited me out to to come and present in return i ended up wearing many hats there because there was a little help needed here there and everywhere so i was on the sound decks i was uh, <laughs> making signs i was running around you know sorting everything out it's just i think you know when you do event organizing you feel people's pain sure. who, who who are running it and i know how stressful it can be and yeah so i was just there to to a present, but be also just offer support as, as America. That's that's great. Yeah, I uh, know Bill and Christian Dutcher, and our magazine has been involved with Americade for many years. I didn't get to attend this year. I was just on an overseas motorcycle trip right before the rally, and I couldn't be out of the office for three weeks. So, um, but yeah, it's a good event. Uh, you know, it's it's a beautiful part of the country there in the Adirondacks. Yeah. I don't know if you got to get any riding in, I did. I did quite a lot actually. I, yeah. I managed to get the zeros in and the Indian FTR as well, and and nice. then the, the couple of, like the, the bikes that we have as well that our friend loaned to us. So yeah, I was quite fortunate to get a bit of riding in there and. You missed my Evil Knievel suit, Greg. Oh, you had it? Oh, I, no. yeah, I had a full-on Evil Knievel suit I was sporting for the entire event, which was hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm glad that they invited you out. Hopefully you uh, were able to, uh, you know, uh, give a presentation and spread the word again. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the show and telling us more about 
Women Riders World Relay. I know you say WRWR. It's probably easier to say that. I figured I was going to get tongue tied. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's an impressive thing that you pulled off. Again, not many people that are have only been riding for a few years start something on such a, a big scale. I know, like I said, you uh, sacrificed a lot to get it pulled off, but it sounds like you made the impact that you're looking for and that you're continuing to have some a voice and influence within the motorcycle industry uh, on a global scale. That's great. I wouldn't have had it any other way. It was worth yeah. all the sleepless nights and more. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll have a link to uh, your organization's website. Is it something that people can support or become members of? Is that something if we direct them to your website? Yeah, sure. If you go through to um, the website, but also the Facebook page and the Instagram page, there's a Facebook group that's women only. We, we keep that as, as a women's only group, um, but the page is public. The Instagram's public. So just, yeah, like and follow and, and then tag us in your rides as well. And, you know, support the women that are in your life and in your community who, who want to ride motorcycles or who are riding motorcycles. And I love seeing one thing that when I, when I first started WRWR that really peed me off, to be honest, was when I typed into Google women riders, nothing came up. There was nothing. And I said to myself that this is one of the things that I really want to crack is I want to blow up the internet with real photos of real women riding real motorcycles. And I love to see on our social media, people getting tagged in their rides wherever they are in the world. So yeah, absolutely share and like and, and, and get yourselves uh, tagged in on the uh, on the hashtags and and the at symbols <laughs> okay sure we'll we'll definitely have links uh in the show notes uh to go along with this episode but again i appreciate your time thanks for coming on the show thanks for having me for the writer magazine insider podcast i'm greg jevenstead thanks for listening and keep the rubber side down if you've enjoyed listening to the writer magazine insider podcast please subscribe, leave us a positive rating, and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit ridermagazine.com, where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Rider Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening.